So if you don't know me, my name is Julia Navidi. Dan already introduced me. Um, I'm the youth ministry leader here at Cascade. You might have seen me walking around church. You're like, who's that person that looks kind of like an adult, kind of like a teenager, talks with the teenagers and the adults? That's me. <laughs> um, I've spoken a few times here at Cascade, and normally it's an announcements or a confirmation service. And I'm always honored with every opportunity I get to speak here. And I was at a sermon planning meeting, and they said, yeah, you should speak. Would you like to on the 28th? I was like, oh, yes, I'm honored. want the opportunity to grow, right? I'm excited. And then they said, would you mind kicking off our series on the Psalms of Ascent? And I was like, shoot. <laughs> what are the Psalms of Ascent? <laughs> Right? Like, I know other psalms. Psalms 23, ye though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? But Psalms 120 through 134, it felt a little random. Uh, but I got lovely advice from the staff here and our church members. I read several pieces, and I started to get a greater understanding of what they are. So, and in case you're a little like I was, you're like, what, what are the psalms of ascent? Maybe you've heard them, right? Maybe you've had no clue they even existed. I'm gonna go a little bit into what they mean. And Dan already gave us a great introduction. They're a group of psalms, and they were sung by people, the people of Israel, as they ascended upwards to a temple. So temples back then were often on hills, right? And there were several steps that you could take to go up to the temple. And when I say several, I don't mean three or four, right? A good amount, several. And so people would sing these songs, which are then turned into psalms, as they went up the stairs, and it would help prepare them physically, mentally, and emotionally for worship. All right, and today, it's a metaphor for life lived upwards, right? a life striving to become closer to God, of a deeper relationship with God. So Cascade chose this series because as we as a church are preparing for Lent, just as Dan said, we're trying to see how God invites us to draw closer to him. Lent is a season of drawing closer to God. And what better way to enter it than by reading the Psalms of Ascent? So that's what we're doing. I chose Psalm 130, not just because when I read it, it reminded me of a high school musical, but because <laughs> it's complicated, right? It's complicated. Um, psalm 130 is a weird psalms. So before I go through it, before I chunk it up and dissect it and dive into the individual meanings, I figured we could start by just looking at it and reading it. Psalms 130 says, Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we, with reverence, serve you. I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Right, do you see what I mean? It's a little complicated. And most psalms are quite lyrical, right? And you understand why so many of them were actually turned into songs or were a song in the first place. But when I read this, I don't really see a song as much as I see a complicated prayer right, almost an emotional vomit of a seasoned Christian. This person knows Christ. I think it's pretty clear when you first read that, but there's tension, right, there's turmoil. 
And in fact, it feels like it starts in one direction and it switches. It goes back to the first point and then it kind of moves along and then it does a 180 and then it keeps going. When I first read this piece, I actually drew that <laughs> on the back of my notes. It was the first image that came to mind, right? He starts off and then he switches and goes back around. But I think the chunkiness of it, right, the fact that there's so many different pieces is actually quite beautiful because it's real. It's a raw conversation with God. And it certainly starts off that way. Out of the depths I cry to you. Wow, this is an anthem in the Psalms. Remember Psalms 23? I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Some translations, like MSG, translate the first verse as, I've hit rock bottom. The Good New Translation says, from the depths of despair I call to you. Either way, someone is coming before God in despair, right, in the depths of human emotion. And it makes sense, because the depths of human emotion of despair, of sin, are deep. Now, it's kind of funny, because the author doesn't just start with saying, no, I've hit rock bottom. They continue to plead, hear my voice. And then again, let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. It's like three slams. This person isn't just coming and saying, Lord, I'm in trouble. This person is truly crying out to God. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you've prayed that prayer before, that prayer of desperation of, Lord, hear me. The first time I was reading this through with a mentor of mine, and they said, I can picture exactly a time in my life when I have prayed this prayer. Meanwhile, the first time I read this in our sermon planning meeting, I thought of Troy Bolton, angry singing in the halls of High School Musical, confused whether or not he should choose Gabriella and singing or dance, right? Out of the depths of despair, I crawl to you. He's like sprawled on the floor singing. No, I think... <laughs> I'm not sure if all of you can picture an exact moment when you were crying out in a valley of death, but I think all of us can relate to at least some valley, some valley of ours that we go to where we feel like we are in the depths of it, right? Maybe you're thinking of a fight you had with your best friend or of a marital dispute. Maybe you've lost some loved ones and you're in the pits of despair. You've lost a job and you're in a time of uncertainty. Either way, we start this pray, prayer by disclosing our grief. And I think we're doing the first right thing, which is praying. Right? The first step to becoming closer to God is so simple. And yet it's where so many people mess up. It's bringing your troubles to God. It's putting them at the foot of the cross. It's talking to our God. Right? Giving your situation to the Holy Spirit, to our Lord. I think it's this idea of talking to God where the author does a 180, right? It's like he's walking in a northern direction, stopped, and then turns east. He starts off almost lamenting his situation, and then he says this. You can go to the next slide. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we, with reverence, serve you. That's not a change in tone change in direction, I don't know what is. The author goes from calling out to God to realizing, what right do I have to call on God? 
It's like the psalmist started 130 by focusing on their situation and then zoomed out. He started in Death Valley, and instead of even staying in California, he's looking at a universal scale, right? They realized what they were doing, which was praying to God. It's a switch. He goes from reflecting on a situation to reflecting on himself. I bet you $1,000 that as he says that line, <laughs> right, if you kept a record of sins, who could stand? He's thinking of all the times in his life when he sinned, of all the times when he's messed up, the things he regrets. Because it's true, what right do we as sinful humans have to call on the King of Kings to help us? It's a humbling thing. But I love this switch. I love the switch of lamenting to reflecting. Because when I pray, I don't pray with a linear mindset. I don't start off an argument with all my points lined out, right? I don't go to God and speak in fluid sentences. No, most of the time when I come to God, especially when I come to God deep in my emotions, it's like an emotional stream of consciousness, right? When I come, everything just starts to spill out of me. When I see God in one situation, I start seeing him in several. And this happens all throughout my prayer life. I think the author kind of captures this, right? God, I'm struggling. I called you, are you even listening? Whoa, I'm talking to God. That's crazy. I don't deserve to talk to God. I'm sinful, why would God even listen to me? I experience this nice turnaround of God saved me. I don't deserve to be saved, not just in prayer life, but in my regular life as well. My most prevalent experience of this, my greatest example is when I was ironically in a literal pit of darkness. This summer, I was mapping lava tubes in Hawaii, <laughs> right? If you haven't been deep into a lava tube, they are very dark, which makes sense. Most of the time, you're a quarter of a mile underground. You're crawling through all these sharp rocks. You're literally under sometimes a mile of grayish black rock. It's quite intense. Normally, they're quite hot, especially on the ones in Moana Loa, where I was, right? The rock is really sharp. If you even touch part of it, your clothing will get ripped. So not only are you in a small tube that's 115 degrees, but you're wearing full-length clothing, right? Normally multiple layers, you've got knee pads on, all these things, you'll still end up bleeding in smaller places because it's impossible to crawl without touching something in a lava tube. And so on my team, we are mapping new things. That's what they make new geologists do in Hawaii, right? There's over 500 miles of lava tube in Hawaii. We estimate because we haven't mapped all of them. Because mapping a tube can kind of suck. <laughs> Just being honest, you're crawling on your hands and knees sometimes for days. Just taking measurements every few steps. And I was on a team, and there was an entrance, and we went into one, and I said, all right, you know what to do. Here's your supplies. Go map. So I go further in, and I see this crack on the side of the wall a bit further in. And I am thinking, yes, this is it. This is where I need to climb in. This is where I'm going to map. I was so excited. So I crawled in, and it was very awkward, right? Not only is the opening small, but again, it's really sharp. You're in an awkward situation. But I went through, and I kept on going further and further in. Now, parts of the ceiling had collapsed. And so not only is it a smaller area, but there's like rocks jutting out from it. So I'm like 
awkwardly contorting my body, trying to get through. And the cave just keeps on getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Now, if you're claustrophobic, don't listen to this next part. Mom, close your ears, okay? So, I'm getting further and further in, right? I'm a good, I'm pretty far in at this point, right? It's deep. I've passed several caverns, like I'm weird and contorted, and I keep getting further and further in. And it keeps getting darker and darker. I didn't know that was possible when you're already in complete darkness. But it was like my headlamp was just slowly getting dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. And so I get to an area, and it's really awkward. Like, my back and my front are pressed up against rocks, and I'm thinking, maybe this wasn't the best idea. <laughs> right? Maybe I shouldn't have gone into this sketchy, really small crack in the corner of a wall and decided to map it. And so, because there's almost no light, I pull out my phone for a little phone flashlight, right? Something's better than nothing, and I see the little icon that says no service. Logically, I knew this, right? You're a quarter mile underground, there's going to be no service. But it was in that moment where I realized, oh, I am alone in a collapsing lava tube without my team, <laughs> partially trapped, right? I've never been claustrophobic, but I was in that moment. I was afraid. So I started to panic, I started to breathe heavy, and I instantly decided, I'm going to get out of here. So I'm trying to go through all these cracks and maneuvers as fast as I can. And as you can imagine, I hit a point when it didn't go so well. <laughs> right? Part of my foot is trapped in this area, and I'm really starting to panic. Like, oh, oh my gosh, okay, okay. Like, I can't scream because no one's going to hear me. What, what am I going to do? And just the thought kept on going. I could die here, and no one would know where my body is. No one would know what would happen to me. Right, and in these weird maneuvers, you have to use a lot of like body strength to get out, right? Like your fingers are grasped. And at this point, I'm shaking so bad that I couldn't even grab and pull myself out. And that's when I said a prayer. I said, God, please don't let this be it. No one can hear me, and I need you to hear me. I messed up, I did something stupid, right? Like I'm alone here, it makes sense that I shouldn't have me on this way but I have. I need your peace, just, just please give it to me. I'm, as, I'm, as I'm praying, I start to feel my muscles kind of relax, right? Some of the tension leaves my body. Finally, I go, I get myself out of the crack. I make my way faster than before to the entrance. As I'm out, I finally get to a little collapsed entrance. I can go up. Finally, I'm on land again. I sit down, I'm crying, I'm shaking. I'm like, that was so cool, but so stupid. <laughs> what am I doing? I'm just gonna wait here for the rest of my team to finish, I guess. And it hit me, why, why did I pray to God? Right, that was my own fault. And why did God listen? Why does God listen to us? Why is it that when we call on God, even though God is the ultimate holy of holies and we are sinful, why is it that he listens? Why is it that we feel we get to do that? Now, I would argue that most valleys we experience, or at least a chunk of them, aren't our fault, right? I was in that too, but I decided to go in a weird place. But either way, even if it's not your fault, it was mine, and I believed God listened. And I think that brings us to one of the last chunks of Psalm 130, in which God is directly given two characteristics unfailing love and full redemption 
are the characteristics attributed to God. That's why we get to call on God. That's why we get to bring our troubles to him. It's a final shift, right? We shouldn't get to call on God, but we're redeemed, so we do. Because God loves us, he listens. This last section, figured I should read it, is, I will wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Now, this last segment is probably my favorite. Right? I've grown to love all of Psalm 130, but I really like this last part, specifically verses 5 and 6. Not just because the idea of a guard sitting, staring in a darkness, waiting for the sunrise is a little silly, but because of what it means. It's a guard watching for the morning, the sunrise. When we go to bed, when night comes, we don't doubt that the sun will come again. If you look at the wording, the guard doesn't question if the sun rises, but he waits for when the sun rises. And I think it's the same thing with God. It's not whether or not you will be delivered from your valley. It's not whether or not God answers your cries, but it's a matter of when. Just as God redeemed Israel from their sins, God redeems us, God delivers us. Don't get me wrong, delivery might look different than what you think. Redemption might look different than what you think. The Israels were redeemed over 100 years after their death, but it did happen. Right, you may have heard that song, sometimes the greatest answers to our blessings come when there is no answer at all. God does answer us, just not in the way we expect. It's that God that redeems Israel, the God that loves us, that died for us, that took our sins, even when we don't deserve it. That's the God that we wait for. We put our trust in God, not ourselves, because if we should wait on anything, it should be the Lord. I think that's a second step to drawing closer to God. First is giving your situation to him, and the second is trusting. And yet, trusting in God, especially when you have to wait on him, is hard. In one of my favorite books, Narnia, Voyage of the Dawn Treader, <laughs> the characters are on a ship and this darkness covers them. Right? They can't see anything. I bet if they put their hand out in front of their face, they couldn't see anything. And Lucy, the youngest, she prays out. She says, Aslan, help us. Which Aslan is kind of a metaphor for Jesus. And a light comes, and it circles the ship. And it whispers to her, courage, dear heart. I think of this verse often. Because in the hardest thing, in the darkness, the hardest thing to do is wait. Waiting for that darkness to end. Waiting takes a type of trust. A type of trust that God will deliver us. Right? We wait for the sunrise because we know it's coming. We as an instinct as humans to go, go, go. And when we get stuck in dark places, it's hard not to do everything we can to get out of them. Right? I was stuck in that lava tube, my adrenaline was pumping so much that my limbs were shaking, and all I wanted to do was get out. When in the moment, what I needed to do was stay there, calm myself down, and get out. I think waiting, just taking a breath and praying, giving the situation to God, 
as one of the hardest things we can do as humans. It takes courage to wait for God. Same thing, we do it because we serve the God, the one who fully redeems us, the one who unconditionally loves us. Psalms 130 is complicated. I'm sure I hit, I haven't hit all the needed points, right? But I think it's a poem ultimately about surrender, coming to God, not only surrendering your situation, but surrendering your outcome for control, choosing to wait, choosing to trust in God. This process of coming to God, of realizing our own failures and God's greatness in comparison, of putting our hope in that greatness, it leads us to hope. It leads us to a new type of trust, a type of courage, one that we only get when we draw closer to God. I don't know what the Israelites were thinking as they ascended these steps. These could have just been words that they were singing, you know, like a kid who sings songs when they go to church. Maybe it was really emotional. Maybe it was really deep for them. I think the process of reminding ourselves to come to God, to wait for God, to wait in God's love and redemption, is the ultimate step of drawing closer to God. We like to pretend that, you know, it's writing verses down, it's memorizing scripture, and all those things are great. But why would we do it if we can't act on it? Even if that acting is waiting for God, it's drawing us closer to him. To end the Psalms, or this Psalm at least, in a true fashion, I'm gonna give you a worship lyric. Not one from a Psalm, that would be ridiculous. You've had enough Psalms today. <laughs> but I wanna quote Lauren Daigle, cause exactly, Lauren Daigle's awesome. There's a very popular song, arguably your most popular, called Trust in You. The lyrics roughly go like this. When you don't move the mountains, I'm needing you to move. When you don't part the waters, that's when I wish I could walk through. When you don't give me answers as I cry out to you, well, I will trust in you. I think trusting in God when he doesn't immediately answer, right? Trusting in God when we don't hear a direct response. Trusting in God when we're crying out to him and we don't hear words immediately back. That's the next greatest challenge. And you solve it by waiting in redemption, waiting in love for God. I pray that as we go through troubles, that God calls us to lean closer to him in the season of Lent. We have the courage not just to follow God, but to wait for God as well. I said I was almost done with Psalms. I lied. Psalm 119. <laughs> 105 <laughs> says, God's, light is a, God's word is a light to my path and a lamp to my feet. Again, I think the wording is really purposeful in this. A lamp to my feet. It doesn't mean that we know the rest of the way out. It just means that we know the next step. I think purposefully we're not meant to know the entire journey. We're not meant to know how God redeems us. We kind of do but not in this physical world. I don't think we're meant to know the full plan. I think we're meant to trust God with just the next step. I think we're meant to trust the light with just the next step.
Again, it's hard. The times in my life when God has called me, the times in my life when I feel like Emmett, <laughs> when I'm crying. God doesn't answer by lighting up all my problems. He answers by lighting up the next step. Oftentimes that step is continue to wait, continue to trust, but either way, God redeems. Amen. There you go. All right, I'm gonna end a little early. I'm gonna end by praying. If you'll bow your heads and pray with me. God, I pray that as we all go through troubles, as we go through valleys, all that differ, all the situations that differ, Lord, that you'll help us lean close into you. That we'll have the courage, not just to lean into you, but the courage to take the next step. Even when that step is waiting, even when all we want to do is go, Lord, I pray that you'll guide us, that you'll help us have the courage to trust in your plan, and to trust enough to wait. Lord, thank you for being a God we can wait in. Thank you for being a God that redeems us and that loves us. I pray as we enter the season of Lent that you'll invite all of us to draw closer to you, that you'll invite all of us to see you and to enter not just a season of Lent, but a new life with you. It's in your name we pray, amen.